where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. This morning we are hearing a section of scripture that we often divide into two separate stories when we hear it. The first is the sending of the disciples out into the world, and the second section is the feeding of the 5,000. Um, in some of the Gospels, those are in Luke, they're actually connected. And that's how I would like to hear them today. So let's hear first the first part of that story as Jesus is teaching the disciples to go out into the world. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. And then as we turn to the next part, listen again for how Jesus is teaching the disciples and the others how to call forth generosity. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. He took with them and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so, made them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled what was left over was gathered up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. I had the fun of spending Halloween this year with my four-year-old neighbor. Um, our neighbors own a restaurant, and those of you who have owned a business um, can probably vouch for it. It appears from the outside that anything that can go wrong on a holiday does. So they both needed to go in to work, and a text went out. Can anybody take our kids trick-or-treating, and I was the first one to say, yes, I can, because I love to be out trick-or-treating on Halloween. I'm not a big, like, I don't like the creepy stuff, <laughs> but I like the community aspect. 
when everybody's out and they're going through the neighborhood and I like to see the kids and they're so excited and the way they um, always say thank you, you know, when they get the candy. Um, and the people who stay home to pass out the candy, which appear to be mostly teenage boys and um, people whose kids are grown or who never had kids. And so it just, it's a holiday that feels counterintuitively very giving and generous to me. <laughs> So I packed the gloves and the hat. Remember, it was cold on Halloween and little hand warmers, and I was so sure we were going to be out all night, and it was going to be a blast. And what happened instead was that we did five of the houses on my cul-de-sac, and then we went and did two houses on the next cul-de-sac. And then my little friend looked up, and he said, That was fun. I have enough. Let's go home and play with your cats. And I looked into his little bucket, and I said, oh, you have like two handfuls of candy. Don't you want to do some more? And he said, nope, I think I have enough. And I didn't stop there. I tried again. I was like, <laughs> there were other adults on the street looking at me, like really questioning. <laughs> I said, look, that house way down there has a pirate ship in front of it. We should go check that out. And I bet they're passing out really good candy. <laughs> and he goes, Amelia, I have enough. <laughs> so that was how Halloween went. <laughs> and a month later, I continue to think about it because I am still not sure what the depth of wisdom is that inspires a four-year-old boy with 15 pieces of candy to look at an unlimited supply of candy and hold firm. He had enough. In our scripture this morning, the disciples learned twice what it meant to have enough. They were first told, go into the world and take nothing with you. Do all the good that you can do without even worrying where your next meal is coming from. Which is a pretty hard way to learn to have enough. And then they learned it again when they come back and these thousands of people follow them. And Jesus teaches for so long that it's clear that the people are getting hungry. And the disciples propose what I think is a very reasonable solution. Send them away. They're hungry. And we can't feed them. And I don't know, maybe the disciples were nicer than I am. But in that moment, I might have had a certain amount of exasperation when Jesus says, you feed them. And I picture this with thought bubbles over their heads saying things like, we can't feed them, we don't have anything, and the reason we don't have anything is because you told us not to keep anything. <laughs> but I also think that maybe Jesus was preparing them for this exact moment. They had just spent days or weeks or months, and we don't really know because the Bible doesn't say, out in the world inviting generosity. The whole thing from beginning to end was this lesson in community, and in what it means to choose enough. I like to think of enoughness as this choice to be liberated from the pressure to get more just because we can and enjoy what we have because it's here. We might also call it gratitude. Whatever we call it, we know that it is impossible to feel grateful or to feel enough if we're always looking at what we don't have. And there are always more things not to have. Right? That's the difference that my little friend taught me. 
It's the difference between gratification, which is getting what we want, and gratitude, which is being thankful for what we have. The practice of choosing to have enough just means getting off that treadmill of wanting more, which is, of course, easier to say and harder to do. And the reason that it's easier to say and harder to do is because most of us, I don't think, are inherently selfish or deeply materialistic. We think of selfishness often like those kids on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory who are just always grabbing more and more and more. I don't think that's most of us. I think what drives a sense of dissatisfaction or even ungratefulness isn't this unreasonable selfishness. It's a very reasonable awareness of life's insecurity. We know that nothing is guaranteed to us. And so when we're faced with that realization, we start trying to compensate. Our idea of enough shifts. It stops being about enough for now and starts being about having enough for the future, which is okay, except then that in itself becomes an ever-changing target because the future is completely unpredictable. And we're back on the treadmill. Real, deep, lasting gratitude is an act of presence. It's an act of choosing to stay focused on what we have not what we might someday need. This is why of all the stories in the Bible about thankfulness, the one that's most profound to me is actually the story of the Last Supper. Three of the Gospels tell it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they tell it pretty much the same way. After making his way through Jerusalem where tension is building and Jesus knows he's facing arrest, he sends his disciples ahead to find a place where they can observe Passover together. And then Sometime before that last meal, it becomes apparent to him that he'll be betrayed, which is important because it means that by the time he sits down for dinner, he knows what's likely coming. It's familiar. It's a familiar story to many of us because it's the story that we tell when we do communion. Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he gave thanks for it. And then in a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave thanks for it. And in the heart of that moment, that time of teaching was about giving thanks. Because whatever else was happening, whatever else was about to happen, in that minute, that time, that meal with those friends was enough. If that was true for Jesus then, what might be true for us now? What do we have enough of? Love? Money? Time? food or friends. And if we don't have enough of those things for tomorrow, or maybe we're not sure how it'll go tomorrow, do we have enough of any of those things for now? We learn one thing from Jesus and the way that he lived his life, and there are so many things to learn. I think there is a foundation that there was a life of enoughness, of choosing presence and gratefulness over scarcity and fear of the future. And we learn that it's revolutionary, that it's transformational. It changes us personally and it changes the world in general. And you know this if you have ever seen how even a small culture changes when one person starts practicing real gratitude. Spread. Dr. Brene Brown uh, said once that gratitude is what separates privilege from entitlement. And I think that's important because if gratitude is contagious, which I believe it is, then that means that gratitude has the power to change everyone 
and every place we interact in the world. The reason I think it's particularly transformational is because it changes this mentality that can accidentally come up, which is kind of this tit-for-tat idea that goes along with giving. And we know it because some of us will probably wrestle with it here as we move into the Christmas season. It starts coming up when we think things like, I better give Susie an expensive Christmas present because she always gives me an expensive Christmas present. Or, you know, Joe better help me move because I helped him move last year. That's obligation. And it's so ingrained in so many of us that you might notice it best if you think about whether it's easy for you to accept a gift. For many of us, it's not. And it's because we don't want to feel beholden to somebody else. It's often how the world works. But it's not the world Jesus imagined. In Jesus' vision, that hustle and that bustle and that keeping track, that goes away and it's replaced by a table where everyone is valued. And every minute, no matter how uncertain that next minute is, is treasured. I know many of you have a gratitude practice or maybe are thinking of a gratitude practice that you'd like to start next week. And I welcome those and definitely encourage them, but I would like to suggest a shift. I'd like to suggest that we think instead about what we have enough of as a moment-by-moment choice. And maybe we make a journal or we just keep track of it on a whiteboard or you could write it down on strips of paper. Maybe it's a practice you share on social media or with a friend. I don't know. But whatever form it takes, I would encourage us to try it because I think it really is revolutionary. What do you have enough of for now? God of the hungry, there is cake today. Because stewardship is grateful for all that you have offered in our service and the weeks leading up to this service. So please do partake. And there are other things as well. And most importantly, there's conversation one to the other. And I also want to just add that our choir is going to be singing with other choirs at the interfaith service on Wednesday night. So please do come. It'll be very meaningful to have it in the space of the Hour Center where the community meal of Thanksgiving will be served the next day. And part of that service will be preparing the space. So come um, and allow allow yourself to experience that. It will be a gift. So dear friends, whether you're staying for conversation or cake, or whether your life requires that you leave immediately, go forth in the love of God and go forth to give generously of the joy and the hope that has been given to you. Go forth also knowing that God is before you to light your way, behind you to encourage you, above you to watch over you, beside you to befriend you, and within you to bring you peace. The peace that comes with knowing that not only do you have enough, but you are enough. May it be so. Amen.